It's now time for the Billy C Show. Part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero. It's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning. Good day. Good evening. Blah, 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 blah. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week television station. That's right, BillyCBoxing.com can now be uh, watched. Uh, all of our events from the last 15 years, not only this show, which is definitely up there but a lot of other specials we've done uh, uh, throughout time uh, so check it out go to uh, Ginico USA G-I-N-I-K-O USA.com uh, for all of the platforms it's on I know it's on Roku etc uh, etc et so uh, sign up the account is free and uh, watch us uh, wherever you go uh, and finally today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book tom molino from bondage to baddest man on the planet is available right now where all good books are sold you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this very show just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com if you want to get a signed copy just drop me an email billy at talking boxing that's t-a-l-k-i-n-b-o-x-i-n-g.com and uh, i will uh, get you one directly so anyway um, on today's show, we're going to talk about the fights uh, from last night, the major fights from last night. Uh, we're also going to discuss uh, some other fights that are coming up uh, and some quotes. Um, I want to kick off the show with, with a thought that we are going to go back to uh, from time to ta- time all night. Um, and uh, Basically, my thoughts, you know, heavyweight division, as goes to heavyweight division, as goes to the sport of boxing, we all know. And we got kind of a uh, a, a triple-headed monster, so to speak, in the heavyweight division right now with Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, and Deontay Wilder. We all had uh, dreams of uh, the three of them fighting each other in what Sal always likes to refer to as a round robin. We did get to see... Uh, one fight uh, between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And we were, for all intents and purposes, we were looking forward to the rematch, which was actually ordered by the WBC. But lo and behold, what had come up in between was a humongous uh, contract signed uh, by Tyson Fury to join forces uh, with his uh, team, uh, Frank Warren, uh, and uh, Bob Arum and ESPN. Uh, which has put the Deontay Wilder rematch on hold. My point is, Deontay Wilder, all of a sudden, seems to be the odd man out. And we've talked about possibly him making some poor decisions by avoiding the fight and the financial opportunities that were offered to him to fight Anthony Joshua. He's seemingly headed in the right direction 
when he fought Tyson Fury. Did not make the money he anticipated, but sure as uh, you know what, he was going to make some money with the rematch, and now that's on hold. Uh, we do know that Anthony Joshua is already scheduled to fight Jarrell Miller in uh, New York. Uh, Tyson Fury has not announced his opponent yet, but he will be fighting someone. And the WBC had ordered Dominic Brazil and Dillian White to fight for the right to, f- to fight the winner of Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, too. Uh, and now that's not going to happen. So my question is, does Deontay Wilder fight Dominic Brazil? Or does he fight Luis Ortiz, who fought last night? And we'll talk about that in one second. But joining me right now uh, to get some of his thoughts is my man, Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Good morning, Bill. How are you today? Oh, not doing too bad. Uh, still uh, snowbound here uh, in the uh, North Country. Can't take it anymore, my man. They don't don't be surprised if I'm if I'm knocking at your door uh, pretty soon yeah. because I'm like. I just can't take it, but uh, well, we're going to talk about the fights, specifically with the Ortiz fight here in a minute. But what's your thoughts? I mean, we've we've talked about this several times off air as well. We all feel that Deontay made some poor business decisions, but I think his management is is at fault here. I'm not going to blame the fighter. He seems to be the odd man out. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, it, it's always been that case in a sense, you know. We, we talk about the other eras where fighters, I used to say all the time, when fighters want to fight each other, it's usually hard to hold back. But today, you know, you have so many obligatory relationships. What I mean by that is promoters, sanctioning bodies, uh, managers, trainers, fighters, and it's uh, and and not to steal. I was listening to a uh, a whole uh, dissected analysis of the state of boxing today. I don't know if you caught it. It was on ESPN with Max Kellerman, and uh, pretty much along the lines we talk about, as far as you know, the obligations and the fiduciary trusts each network manager, trainer, promoter has with each other, and of course with the fighter being the the principle uh, and how he's used as the tool uh, as far as the commodity, as far as what's going to be presented and decided on. And it's just too much. I mean, it, it really is. It's following the bouncing ball. Look what you were saying earlier. I mean, this one, that one, this didn't happen. You know what? Yeah. Looking back, Deontay Wilder should have fought uh, uh, Anthony Joshua for that so-called $15 million. Uh, his life would have been a lot different today, I believe, uh, especially because that fight would have already been uh, done and, and gone and uh, gone and possibly the rematch already upon us. Um, but that's not the case. So where are we now? Where are the chips lying and where do we pick them up and what do we see? Um, I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of surprises this year in the game of boxing, especially the heavyweight division. We already know the missteps and the opportunities that have gone the wayside. And it's a shame because I use my analogy, and you were so right on, the round robin. You know, you've got a trilogy or, or, or more of fighters that are more than capable of, let's fight this, let's do this, let's see who the winner could fight with that one. And, but, you know, it, it's, it's too much. 
it's like a quadrifolio now, not a round robin. Um, you know, the, the thing that sticks in my, my head right now um, is the fight last night. Let, let's talk a little bit about the fight last night, um, the heavyweight fight. Uh, Luis Ortiz uh, fought uh, Christian Hammer on the undercard of uh, of Ursandy Lander. Uh, I'm sorry, Ursandy Lara against Brian Castano. And, uh, you know, I'm watching this fight, and I've always been a fan of Luis Ortiz, um, and he's going to be... F- <laughs> He's going to be forty again this year. Um, so am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Uh, you know the 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 thing is is I, as much as I thought that he had a, a huge chance uh, against Deontay Wilder in the first fight, and certainly uh, had his moments in that fight, and ultimately we all know the outcome. He he was stopped, uh, but I, I thought a rematch at, at many times. I thought of a rematch. Uh, being a, a good move last night I couldn't help but think that um, because of what's going on with uh, uh, Deontay Wilder not getting his rematch with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua moving on to fight Jarrell Big Baby Miller and I'm saying to myself oh geez watch we're gonna see a rematch between Luis Ortiz and Deontay Wilder somehow he's gonna uh, gain the okay from the WBC and I and at first when the fight started, I thought maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, we'll see if uh, Deontay uh, got any better, could could handle the the counterpunching uh, ability and, and boxing ability of Luis Ortiz. I mean, after all, he did just go twelve rounds with Tyson Fury, uh, who's a much better defensive fighter. Um, but uh, but as I watched the fight unfold, Sal, um, I did not think Ortiz. If they get in a ring again, I don't think Ortiz goes uh, very far in the fight. He looked like he lost a step. Uh, he was uh, out of gas, it seemed to me, uh, halfway through, uh, although he was landing on Christian Hammer. Christian Hammer, to me, represented uh, a, a guy that, you know, have, had some abilities uh, but would not uh, stand up to a, to a guy uh, with uh, supposedly skills that Ortiz had, what was your thoughts? I'm hearing some feedback uh, on your side. Are you are you have a, a double speaker going or something? Or yeah, excuse me one minute. Yeah, okay. yeah I I uh, we'll see what uh, what Sal's got going. But my my thought is, I think that um, I think that Ortiz, although he won, and in case you missed it, uh, he won a unanimous decision against Christian Hammer. 100 to 90 twice, 99-91 were the way uh, the judges scored it. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, close rounds, uh, depending upon what you go for. But I still thought that he did not look uh, the same uh, as uh, as he did. I, I think he lost the set. What, what was your thoughts, Sal? Well, my, I was looking at the same fight, and, and those same thoughts were going through my mind. It's, it's often how I say you know, you've heard me say this, that a lot of the opponents that supposedly uh, Triple G had a hard time with putting away, even though he caused damage on their bodies or eye sockets, whatever it was, no pun intended. Um, you know, those fighters sometimes will never be the same or, or they lost a step. I think Luis Ortiz, who I do like as well, I think also because he reminds me of the old Yankee pitcher, Luis Tion. Remember Luis Tion? Oh, of course, the pitcher, sure. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, Luis Ortiz, 
I thought he did miss a step. I thought, you know, maybe the uh, Deontay Wilder uh, took one step away from him. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, I just don't think that uh, Luis Ortiz had a big chance to come out and show. And he had moments. I thought he was in the fight saying to himself, wow, this is the way the fight that I anticipated against Deontay Wilder should have gone. But then, you know, it didn't follow up to be the closing or didn't follow up to be the dominance or put the hurt on uh, his big opponent and a hammer, Christian Hammer. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely see that Luis Ortiz, I think he lost a step. And I do see in a rematch that Deontay Wilder, I think, will close the show a little earlier. Well, the big question that I have for Deontay Wilder is, is he getting better? Is he learning um, anything from from these last two fights? Uh, he, you know, the draw with Tyson Fury, and of course the the exciting win over Luis Ortiz. Um, the truth of the matter is, is, is did he learn anything? You know, he fought uh, arguably the top two fighters of his whole career in his last two fights. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he fights in his next fight because you would think that he didn't learn much from the Ortiz fight when he fought Tyson Fury. But then again, you got to give credit where credit's due. Tyson Fury is one of the best defensive uh, heavyweights out there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not sure if, if a rematch with Ortiz would be uh, such a good judge of that because, like you agreed with me, I, I think Ortiz clearly lost uh, a step. And no discredit to Christian Hammer, but I, no. I, I think he clearly lost the step. And he's not the power puncher that the commentators were making him up to be. Yeah, he, no. he would break you down, but he's not a – I mean, when we see guys in a heavyweight division like Deontay Wilder and – Anthony Joshua, these guys are power punches. They hit, they land something flush. You're, you're hitting a canvas. You're getting hurt somewhere, some way, shape, or form. Ortiz, uh, not so much. I don't think he's a one punch uh, power guy. No, not anymore. And uh, I don't think he ever was. I don't, I'm no, talking about Ortiz. I'm talking about Ortiz. Yeah, it, it's not like the one punch closes the show and ends the night. Uh, cumulatively, yeah, he could still do that with the combination. But um, no, I didn't see the power that supposedly everyone talked about was evident last night. And, and and like I say, I think, you know, would it be a good test for Wilder to see a rematch? Uh, obviously, you and I are all, we're always looking at Wilder to see if he's improved, see if he's learned something from the prior fight. And, um, you know, I think, I think he had these last two fights to learn a, a, a a ton of uh, a skill set and things like that that he could put in his repertoire. But, uh, you know, that's way to be seen. We'll see. But I'm disappointed of the status of where he is right now without having the opportunity for the rematch or the opportunity to fight Anthony Joshua or the opportunity to do anything. And like you, you said earlier, it seems like he's the odd man out for whatever reason. Um, we got a super chat from my man, uh, Joel, and he wants uh, our thoughts on uh, Castano, uh, which we'll talk about right now. Uh, I want to remind everyone, we are uh, going to be super chatting off. That sounds uh, like it's you know not appropriate for this kind of it. We're super chatting off today, boys and girls. Uh, we got some stuff to, to, to basically sell off for the largest super chat chat so we'll be getting to that a little bit later but uh super super chat from joel about our thoughts on castano 
Uh, appreciate it, Joel. Thank you. Um, Castano last night fought against uh, Ursulani Lara uh, as the main event on uh, Showtime, and I liked him. Uh, yeah, I thought too. I thought the same, almost the same thing about uh, Ursulani Lara as I did about Luis Ortiz. Uh, one thing I do like about Lara lately, and I say lately, in his last handful of fights, he's been more. Um, uh, more of a fighter that that's willing to engage, and I think it showcases his skill uh, much better because he's not only uh, able to uh, land shots, uh, he avoids a lot. But Castano, to me, was the aggressor and landed in hard shots. Defensively, he could use some work. Uh, the way the judges scored it uh, was so typical. I knew it was going to be this. I said it before the uh, uh, announcement was made. Um, I, you know, the bottom line was 115-113. One judge scored it for Castano. Uh, one judge scored it 115-113 for Lara. And then Julie Letterman uh, had it even, 114-114, calling the fight uh, a draw. Now, whether this uh, opens up uh, for a rematch or not, I'm not sure. But as far as Castano goes, um, you know, I... I, I liked – I can't say this was a robbery. It was a close fight no matter what. Um, but I scored it 115-113 uh, for uh, Brian Castano. I thought Castano won the fight. I thought that he was landing the harder, more significant punches, uh, although a lot of the shots that he was throwing seemed to be blocked or deflected uh, from Ursulandi Lara. But Lara just didn't land anything – really really hard he did get in a couple of good uppercuts uh that did score uh but uh, once again i i have to question judges today sal do they really score for the body work because i thought castano worked the body uh, perfectly he took off from working the body in the middle rounds but then came back to it and the beginning and the end of the fight um, I was uh, leaning towards castano that's why i had the edge interesting enough all three judges uh, had Ursulandi Lara winning the last three rounds, which I thought Castano clearly won the 12th round. Uh, what was your thoughts? Yeah, I thought he won the 12th round. And uh, it was a close fight, very competitive fight. And uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch. And, um, you know, it was a very good fight. Lara, you know, I thought, I thought at times he missed some opportunities. Uh, he, he definitely, you know, Castano was, was definitely the aggressor. Um I like the fact they're both willing to engage and, and uh, stay in the pocket and uh, move their head, be defensive where they could, but also be in a position to deliver a punch. Um, it was a good fight, good solid fight. Um, I uh, just to to follow up with uh, Joel's super chat. I I, I I like Castano. I hope they have a rematch, and I want to see more of them. Uh, also, uh, we did already talk about the Ortiz fight, but also on that card. Um, Eduardo Ramirez, uh, who was looking like he was heading for uh, a loss, uh, scored a ninth round stoppage over Brian DeGrasaria for the uh, WBA's gold featherweight. Here we go with the gold uh, uh, featherweight title uh, again. Um, he was clearly uh, down uh, on, uh, on two of the official judges' scorecards. I had him down. But uh, came out with the win. 50 seconds uh, uh, left in the ninth round. Uh, just goes to show you, Sal, it ain't over till it's over. 
Uh, Ramirez improves to uh, 22 wins and one loss with three draws and nine of his wins coming by knockout. And uh, Di Gracia drops uh, the second fight of his career. He's now 24-2-1 with 20 of his wins coming by knockout. Some other fights I just want to mention real quick, specifically in the heavyweight division that took place. Um, in Germany, they had a card featuring a lot of young uh, heavyweights. Uh, the two top uh, fighters on that card, uh, Ajit Kabiel, improved to 19-0 and with 13 knockouts when he scored a 12-round unanimous decision over Andre Rudenko, who uh, loses for only the fourth time in his career. Rudenko drops to 32-4 and uh, with 20 of his wins coming by knockout. 116-111, 117-110, 119-108, all in favor of uh, Kabiel. Uh, also on that card, Tom Schwartz. Uh, scored a second-round knockout over Christian uh, Christatic uh, to improve to 24-0 and with 16 knockouts. Uh, the end came at 2 minutes and 55 seconds of the second round. Uh, Krastic drops to 17-2. Uh, and, and over in Ohio, Columbus, if you will, uh, Junior Fa uh, scored a uh, first-round uh, knockout uh, over uh, Nufiel Otua. Uh, at uh, two minutes and 51 seconds of the first round, uh, hit the uh, uh, canvas. Uh, Otua hit the canvas four times uh, to drop to 16 and three. Um, speaking of that card, I found it kind of strange. I had a couple of observations, Sal. I found it kind of strange last night. Now, Lou DiBella uh, was the promoter of record for the Showtime event. Uh, which uh, saw the Ortiz fight and Castano fight. Uh, he was also the promoter uh, for the Junior Fa fight. Um, and, and that fight was in Ohio. He was actually trying to offer that as an uh, a, a online pay-per-view type of a thing. Um, but he sat at the ringside at the, his other fight in New York at the Barclays Center. I don't know if you noticed him. But he was dressed kind of like Geppetto from Pinocchio. Uh, you know, I don't know what he what he's trying to do, but I I, I was waiting for you know uh, Pinocchio to make an appearance. I mean, uh, Lou DiBella doing his best, uh, uh, you know, dress impersonation of, of Geppetto from Pinocchio. Uh, but but I don't know if you noticed this, Sal. There was hardly any advertising on the ring yesterday. If you go back and look at it, the, usually the corner posts are, are usually sold. The red corner and blue corner were both blank, as were the uh, ropes. Usually the ropes have a, 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 a sponsor on them. Now, I, I noticed this stuff because I say to myself, number one, if you don't sell it, generally the promoter puts his own uh, you know, stamp on there, DiBella Entertainment or whatever. I found that strange. I wonder if there was an underlying reason. Did you notice that, or am I just uh, looking at things I shouldn't? You always see Takati, you see this, you see that, you know. And uh, I, I, I also observed that that there was no real sponsorship endorsing or or putting their logo, their name out there. And then you know you would think that it would uh, defer or refer back to the promoter, but it didn't do that either. So I don't know. Let's look into that. Uh, we got my man, uh, Joel. He, he's in a spending mood. He just gave us a super chat. He, he's, he wants he wants man. me to give him the weather report. Uh, you know, yeah, we, we got snow yesterday. I, I got probably 
believe it or not, almost three feet on the ground still. That's not going away. Yeah. He's getting another storm today uh, down in southern New York, and uh, he's supposed to be getting five to seven. And, uh, I think we're, we're getting 70 degrees over here. Yeah, I know, I know. We're, we're, we're supposed to get the same, Joel. But uh, thanks. Save some of your money for the stuff we're going to give away, Joel. I have a feeling you're going to like it. Uh, but uh, in any event, I, I, all kidding aside, I, I this show wouldn't uh, be able to go around if we didn't get the Super Chats from guys like uh, Joel. So I uh, appreciate it uh, very much. Um, yeah, I noticed that, Sal. It was, uh, was kind of strange to me that... Um, we didn't have or they didn't have uh, more stuff uh, uh, sold in terms of sponsorship. And again, you know, little things like that I notice because I do these events and it's something that is very important to the success of, of a show uh, to have uh, corporate sponsorships behind you. Um, you know, and, and all kidding aside, I mean, they had uh, three good fights on the card, uh, evenly matched fights, I thought. Uh, even the Ortiz fight, I know uh, at first I thought maybe it was going to be a, a, a one-sided showcase fight for Ortiz, but Christian Hammer uh, had uh, uh, other ideas. I just, I just found it strange. I can't recall the last time that I watched a fight where the, at least the red and blue corners had some writing on the on the corner post pads. I, I just, I've never, I, I can't recall it, Sal. No, no, I'll tell you what, I understand, and uh, you're, you are correct. Hey, maybe yeah. they should. Maybe they should have put uh, uh, Lou DeBella's uh, photo of of his uh, uh, "I'm gonna dress like Geppetto from Pinocchio" outfit that he had on. I, maybe we should get him in one of your uh, one of your acting gigs. You know, as Geppetto. Did you ever think of maybe uh, having Lou DeBella as Geppetto and and you know uh, somebody play Pinocchio? I don't know. I mean, uh, I know uh, you know with you, with a boxer's nose, you wouldn't really want to play Pinocchio, would you? Not me, no. But uh, you know, it's like uh, it's like the Godfather would always say. You know, he said, "I never wanted to have this for you, Michael Santino. I was I know we'd have to do this way, Fredo." Ah. Yeah, you, well, he's he's Geppetto. I, I have all the strings. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he's going to be doing is pulling strings. But uh, well, anyway, you're a puppeteer. Or you're a puppet. Well, that's where, that's where the sanctioned bodies have you. You're, uh, you're the puppeteer. You're the puppet. Well, the 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 thing with Lou though is he was the promoter. Why didn't he put his own name on there? If he wants to dress, hey, listen, you, you know, a lot of times these guys dress a little far out just so you can, you know, they could draw attention, and he certainly did. But uh, uh, Pinocchio, Geppetto, I don't know. Sal, we're gonna take a short break. When we come back. Uh, we're scheduled to have Dax Khan join us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the fights from last night and. Uh, what our topic is today is Deontay Wilder, the odd man out with the uh, the triple-headed world champion view of the heavyweight division. We'll find out uh, in about two. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. (laughs) 
And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. Hey, don't forget, you could catch us 24-7 on uh, any handheld device that you have or your television. Just uh, check us out on our new television station, 24-7 Billy C Boxing. Uh, all the information and all of the places you can watch it uh, can be found on Ginico USA. That's G-I-N-I-K-O-U-S-A.com. Sign up. It's for free. And uh, take us with you. It's more than just this show, guys. It's a bunch of uh, other stuff, some great fights, too. And we will be uh, uh, auctioning off, I guess that's a good way, uh, some uh, stuff uh, a little bit later today via Super Chat. So you got to be watching or listening live. Joining us right now, live, uh, is my man uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Good morning, Billy C. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing. Um, what's the matter? Sick of the snow or what? Yeah, you know, yesterday I woke up in the morning, the snow was going, and then it disappeared by noon. Yeah, well, that's the difference between a couple of hours south of me. It leaves quickly on down there. Here, it doesn't go away. I'm going to have it in June, I think. But uh, anyway. You can have it in June. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not like I want it. You know, I just, I'll be, let me rephrase that. I'm going to be stuck with it in June. But uh, uh, anyway, hey, first and foremost, uh, let's talk about the fights last night. Uh, Castano or Sandy Lara ends up in a draw. I could see it. I don't see, think it was a robbery or anything. I kind of lean towards Castano in this fight. I, I thought that he landed. Uh, the harder punches, no disrespect to Lara, who did display great defense. Uh, how did you see the fight? Well, Aris Landy Lara, this is kind of the story of his career. He can't seem to get a clean loss or a clean win when it comes to these big fights. It's either, you know, some sort of controversy or it happens to be a split decision. Well, it's a split decision loss last night, split decision draw. But, uh, you know, Lara does that to himself a lot, in my opinion, because of his style. You know, he, he's very accurate, but again, you know, he, he runs a lot. Sometimes he, he gets those moments of lulls, and he's not really exciting to the judges. You know, you have to really be sitting there just watching Arisandi Lara to appreciate his overall boxing ability rather than go there and look for him to, you know, to actually stand out in a fight. And I think that's what hurts him in these big fights. You know, last night, uh, obviously his legs are not what they used to be. He's fighting off the ropes a lot, but, uh, you know, he was, um, he was accurate. He was crafty. I think... Um, Brian Castano, that's a place he's never been before, but uh, Castano, credit to him, he continuously pressured Lara, uh, he, um, he wasn't as accurate, but, uh, you know, he was certainly the stronger fighter, I think that, you know, at this division, it's not quite right for Castano, you know, at five foot six in the division where, you know, these uh, super welterweights are monsters, these guys, these are guys that walk around as light heavyweights, on, you know, when they're out in the street, so, you know, what's next for him, I don't know, he's going to sit there and just be another one of those belt holders with that, that WBA uh, secondary belt, as Mar Renault likes to call it, which is, you know, more or less, the, uh, you know, a top five contender belt. As for Lara, you know, he's definitely um, kind of reached the end of his career, in my opinion, Bill. I think maybe he has one or two more fights in him, but uh, if he continues uh, going on, at least that uh, junior uh, middleweight, I think uh, he's... If he gets in there again, one of these other champions, he's going to just continuously de uh, decline. And that's going to be, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's going to be uh, tragic because if Lara ends his career on a knockout, then, you know, it's kind of going to set the whole tone of what he's going to be looked at in the future. A guy who could never uh, get over that big hurdle, even though for a long time he was the longest reigning champion. You know, I, I think a rematch with Castano would be justified. Uh, 
Um, and it would be a good fight for Lara because, as you mentioned, some of these monsters in this division uh, are just too physically big for him. I, I, I think you made a great point. His legs aren't where they used to be. Um, and, and I don't know if I need to look at his legs starting to fail him because of age or if we need to give Castano more credit for cutting the ring off. Because in the fight last night, uh, to be honest with you, Dax, I haven't seen somebody control cutting the ring off as effectively as Castano did. Every time Alara tried to move, it seemed that Castano was positioning him right where he wanted. Um, I, I, it, was it a failure of Lara's legs, or was it good ring generalship from Castano? I think it's a little bit of both. I think Castano showed, uh, you know, good ring generalship. But again, if this was the Lara of even four fights ago, it wouldn't have been as easy, you know, uh, Castano wouldn't have been able to do that. So it was a combination of the both. I just, you know, Castano, remember, he's only got now, I think this is what, his 15th pro fight. You know, he has time. He, you know, had a great amateur career. He just needs a different um, trainer to kind of, you know, round him out a little bit, settle him down and make his aggress um, his aggressiveness more effective, you know, a more controlled aggression. You know, he, uh, when I was looking at him last night, I kept saying to myself, this kid kind of reminds me in a way like, uh, you know, Sean Porter, just a little bit, a little bit less uh, active than uh, Sean Porter. You know, the thing was, is uh, that's a good analogy. I, I'm, I was trying to put my finger on it and. The way he delivers his punches, everything seemed, you know, crisp and hard, almost, I, almost like a Ray Beltron. You know how Ray Beltron lands his punches kind of hard, like every punch he throws is kind of hard for him. It seemed like that to me with Castano last night. But uh, um, uh, Luis Ortiz uh, in a fight that I, I got to be honest, I, no discredit to Christian Hammer, I, I just didn't think it was going to be as difficult. Did we see Ortiz age in front of us? Because remember, he just turned 40 again. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, ever since the Wilder fight, we've seen Ortiz age. Even though since Wilder, he's had those uh, two stoppage wins over uh, Razvan uh, Kanjano and Travis Kaufman. But, you know, the Kaufman fight, that was... Um, went late into the fight, you know, uh, round 10, you know, Hammond, there's nothing really special about him in the past. Every time he stepped up, he's lost and lost horribly. You would have thought even at 39, that Luis Ortiz at least would have had, um, an easier time outboxing him by hammer. He didn't really seem bothered by the, uh, the power of Luis Ortiz, except for a couple times. And they were body shots. And you made up a great point before on how the, uh, uh, the broadcast team was kind of selling Luis's Ortiz power. Like, you know, he was this one stop killer, but, um, I think even that there is not what it used to be. I, uh, Luis Ortiz was tired at times. Uh, when he wasn't tired, he would move around and he would just flick that jab, but he wasn't really setting anything up. He doesn't seem to be able to get off more than two punches at a time. So, you know, uh, this is definitely a case where it's the aging of Ortiz that made this a more dreadful affair than what it needed to be. And, you know, credit to Kristen Hammer that, you know, he came over here for the first time and, you know, he didn't fold. He certainly didn't come here to be an opponent. You know, which leads us into into one of my main topics today and Deontay Wilder. Um, I, I almost couldn't help as the fight was going on and, and I was noticing the same things you were pointing out about the possibility of Ortiz aging, et cetera, et cetera. And then looking at how the, the landscape of, of the three-headed dragon, if you will, the top three heavyweights of the division, Anthony Joshua, uh, Tyson Fury, and Deontay Wilder, um, we know Anthony Joshua's fighting Miller, 
Fury, um, it looks like they're setting him up to fight uh, Cuba Pulov should Pulov be uh, successful in, in his fight coming up. Um, Dominic Brazil was scheduled to fight, according to the WBC, was scheduled to fight Dillian White for the right to fight the winner of Wilder um, uh, Fury too. But now since Fury isn't doing that fight, are we going to see Wilder against Ortiz? And has Wilder's management made him the odd man out. What, what's your thoughts on, on that whole picture? Deontay Wilder, I think he could have been the guy fighting Jarrell Miller. And even though Jarrell Miller, we know, more or less talked himself into this title shot with Anthony Joshua, two domestic heavyweights, you know, one a belt holder and the other one in the top 10 would be good for the sport here because, as we know, Boxing, especially heavyweight boxing, is lacking attraction here in the United States. And Anthony Joshua coming over here and fighting Drell Miller and selling out the garden in record time it speaks of who the draw is. Now, I have been adamant in stating on this show many times that Anthony Joshua, Bill, is just as much at fault as Deontay Wilder is when it comes to that negotiations you know if I was going to compare it's kind of like Roy Jones and Joe Calzaki where somebody doesn't want to fight somebody and they're both the top dogs and you want to know who it is but for some reason these guys just refuse to get it on when both are capable of going to either place now Joshua being the A-side, so to speak, you'd think that he would want to be the one who, much like Lennox Lewis, to say, you know what, I am the king of this division, and if you're not going to believe me, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to show you on your home home ground. You know, when um, this topic, I was thinking about, you know, the last two most dominant champions, Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko. You know, Lewis fought in Canada, the U.S., Ireland, the United Kingdom. He fought in Carnival City. Vladimir Klitschko, the U.K., the U.S., Germany, Russia, South Africa, Ukraine, Switzerland. Mike Tyson even fought in Copenhagen, the United States, of course, he fought in uh, Tokyo. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. You know, this is what, you know, a genuine ch heavyweight champion of the world is supposed to do. And I think whether or not it was Deontay Wilder or uh, Anthony Joshua, I think the guy that could actually solidify themselves as the heavyweight champion, no matter who has the majority of the belts, is the guy that's willing to go abroad and fight. Well, I, it, I think, listen. Regardless of who's, just to get back to Anthony Joshua being just as at fault, it's hard to deny that. But when you look at the dollars and cents, because after all, this is prize fighting, and most of these guys will always, when push comes to shove, it boils down to the dollars and cents. And if you look at the last couple of fights, you know, when the deal was offered to Deontay Wilder to fight uh, Anthony Joshua, basically they offered him $20 million dollars. 15 to fight Anthony Joshua after he got to pick whoever he wanted to fight with for $5 million. There's his, there's his $20 million. And then they guaranteed him, which had not been negotiated yet, a second fight with uh, uh, Anthony Joshua, regardless of who won the first, like a home-and-home. Home. One, one would be in England, one would be in the U.S. And he scoffed at it. And he turned it down. And then we got, got into that 50-50, and they both ended up walking away. If you look back at that offer that was on the table, on paper, and you look at where both fighters stand today financially with the fights, Anthony Joshua's fighting Jarrell Miller, which no, nobody, nobody thinks that Miller has a chance against Anthony Joshua. He's going to make, he's going to walk away with his $20 million, $25 million, uh, that he's going to get 
We still don't really know the total amount of money that Wilder made against Tyson Fury, but rumor has it was somewhere around $4 million. Um, when all was said and done, the, the pay-per-view buys were, were lower than anticipated. Now, even a rematch with Ortiz, could he equal that $15 million? That's where I'm looking at right now, Dax. I'm saying to myself, you know, here's a guy that is going to be forced to fight a Luis Ortiz or even a Dominic Brazil, and the financial gain is not going to be there because he's not the draw of an AJ. AJ's making $25, $30 million to fight Miller. You know, who knows what Fury's going to make? That was my point. Yeah, well, in terms of just prize fighting and in terms of money, then, yes, you know, Deontay Wilder is hurting himself. No, and nobody else is hurting himself, win, lose, or draw. And we know that there would have been more than one fight. But, you know, in terms of the mentality, I guess, to say, you know, of a champion is why should I be the guy to to collapse in i am making decent money i'm not making his type money but i'm making decent money and you know the two things in the sport that we always see go wrong over the last you know several years or 10 years you want to say is the, the marinating i don't know if somebody somewhere is thinking that you know they're waiting until this fight grows beyond a uh, mayweather and pacquiao type fight in terms of revenue or it's just that you no, know, neither guy just, you know, out of ego, they just don't want to, they don't want to cave in. And Anthony Joshua, knowing that over in the UK, especially, he can draw in those 90,000 fans no matter who he fights. If he would have fought a Christian Hammer, he, you know, he, he'd bring in, you know, at least 70,000 fans. And, you know, he's happy sitting there and collecting his money. Now, what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for money or are you fighting for legacy? And that's what seems to hurt the sport. And that, you know, as long as you're making the money, why fight for the legacy? But, you know, the two guys I named before, you know, they did both. They fought for money and they fought for legacy. If you fight around the world, and that goes for whether or not it's Anthony Joshua, whether or not it's Deontay Wilder, and you perform just as well around that world, that money's going to build. That's how Mike Tyson did it. That's how Klitschko did it. And that's how, uh, you know, all the other fighters, uh, Lennox Lewis did it. Now, remember, Vladimir Klitschko against Anthony Joshua because of Vladimir Klitschko, that that broke the most, most, the most views in history of any fight because of Vladimir Klitschko. And people out there, no, it didn't. It did not go. Remember again, I always stress, it's a worldwide and look around the world and what those numbers were. Well, the the thing was about that, Dax, is it was definitely Klitschko. It was the combination Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. The curiosity fact. Many people did not give. Listen, that I'm a fan of Anthony Joshua, but he didn't officially arrive until he beat Klitschko. In my opinion, Klitschko was the solidification that he was indeed, uh, you know, matching the hype that, that had around him. But, uh, hey, I got a question for you. My man uh, Joel must have hit the lotto over the weekend. He's given us a super chat, and this one is directed to, to you, Dax. He wants to know what your thoughts are uh, of, uh, of Ajit uh, KBL, uh, who just uh, won his fight uh, over the weekend over Rudenko. Uh, what's your thoughts uh, about him as a heavyweight? Where do you think he goes from here? They've been uh, moving him uh, pretty well. H him and uh, Tom Schwartz, who was also on that card, uh, two undefeated uh, German heavyweights. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on uh, KBL? Decent. I don't think anything special of him. I actually think that the top three guys are so good that everybody else in that division is an also-ran, and the only guy in that division that I'm really keeping my eye on that I think can come in there and shake up the apple cart when he gets another four or five fights, and that's Triple D, Daniel Dubois. 
You know, and yeah, we're gonna get to see Daniel Dubois. Um, I don't know next week. Yeah, next week. Um, you know, you know this. This is the problem, Dax, and and you just hit it right on the head. Um, the the issue here is we do. If you take these guys, the uh, Ejit Cabales and the and Tom Schwartz and Daniel Dubois uh, and and some of the other young heavyweights and and even. If he was moved correctly, uh, a guy like Jarrell Miller in, in this position, you know what I'm about to say, and and you know some of these young fighters, uh, Dillian White, um, et cetera, et cetera. If if they were fighting each other, like we got in in the great eras of the heavyweight division, when when you had the dance partners, and the truth is that they are viable dance partners if they're fighting each other. What would happen is. The, the best of these young heavyweights would rise to the top. And then you would see them, after they fought these other guys, presumably uh, getting better and better. And when they did fight one of the top three heavyweights that we have now, it would be more of a challenge. But the road and the path to getting a world title shot today would get a guy like a, a, a Cabiel or, or Tom Schwartz or, or you know, any other, Daniel Dubois, um, all these kinds of fighters, you know, get them W's, get them W's, get them W's, and then all of a sudden throw them in there with one of these top guys as, as the, the, the payoff, uh, and then they don't stand a chance. Do you think that the heavyweight division would be even more solid and, and, and need I even be afraid to say, one of the best uh, divisions uh, of, of the times if these younger fighters actually fought each other instead of uh, their promoters, managers, whoever, protecting them from the tough fights? Well, I think it's several things. One, as you mentioned, yes, obviously we see more and more of that no matter what the division is. Um, secondly, the top names, well, we'll say the top three guys in Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and Anthony Joshua, or actually, we'll th I'll throw Dillian White in there, even though he has lost to Joshua. They're so uh, far above the other guys, you know, they're, they're levels above the other guys. And we have some of the uh, the older guys, like Povetkin, who was good for a very long time on his way out. So these younger guys fighting each other, these prospects, that would certainly, you know, bring this division up levels and into more of a uh, broader scope worldwide, rather than just focusing on a couple fighters. And we haven't had that in a very long time. The 1990s is the last time we had something like that. But, you know, even if you go say, you know, the great divisions of the past, like the 70s, you know, when you had guys like Ernie, um, Ernie Shavers and Ron Lyle, and you had guys in there that were always willing to fight the top names. They were willing to fight each other. It didn't matter who it was. They went in there and they gave their all. And that's why, you know, you focus on it because every fight was a great fight. What makes great fights is proper matchmaking. What doesn't make great fights and doesn't help careers in terms of legacy, only financial sense, is when you're putting guys that you know are three levels below in there against the champion to make the champion look good. And that's, you know, more or less where boxing has come. And I was kind of surprised where, you know, you mentioned before and how, well, it makes sense in terms of financially for Anthony Joshua to do this or financially for Deontay Wilder to do that. But on the other hand, Bill, you complain all the time because of a certain guy, I'm not going to mention his name did a lot of things financially to benefit him these guys are doing the exact same thing wrong is wrong no listen the point is you you you're you're right I, I disagree with the financial uh you know the focus on the financial but be as it may these guys are are limited now the person you're referring to takes it a step further i mean i you know i we're, we're talking about real fights here we're talking about 
a real fight, regardless of who thinks uh, who whichever fighter would win. Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua, or even the, the rematch between Anthony, uh, I'm sorry, between uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, deserves some money. I mean, these guys deserve the money. But at which point do you walk away? I mean, the, my point that I threw out before was if you look at the last two fights or even the three fights, if you're going to include that, you know, Anthony Joshua does not need either one of these guys as long as he's still pulling in $25 million every time he steps into the ring against whoever. And you made the great point that he'll sell out 90,000 seats if it's against Christian Hammer. It doesn't matter. He's still going to make his $25 million. So he's in the driver's seat. Can Tyson Fury make $25 million every time he steps out? Maybe. Who knows? I don't think so if you didn't have the right dance partner. Same thing with Deontay Wilder. They need each other to make the big bucks. The, the marination process of these fights are, are ruining uh, the sport. And it's trickling down to ruin the young fighters because their management teams want to protect them from each other so that they don't miss out on a p potential opportunity with one of the top three. There's where I see the long-term uh, problem, Stacks. You know... Thinking about on the guys that could just fight each other right now, you know, I'm just looking at a list of the heavyweights and any of these fights, Bill, take it away. Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and Dillian White. Any of these fights, in my opinion, would be a good fight. Luis Ortiz against Pulev, uh, Brazil against Konaki, uh, Rivas against Schwartz, Joseph Parker against uh, 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 Cable, or. Um, uh, against Miller, you know, any any of these guys, if they just stay busy and they would all fight each other, this division would certainly, you know, be levels of, uh, levels above. And again, exciting, uh, proper matchmaking makes for great fights. One of the best fights I ever seen in my life wasn't between two A-list guys. It was an ESPN uh, fight, and that was, I believe, it was Devin Rodriguez against uh, Pal Wallach when they had their wars on ESPN. So, you know, proper matchmaking is what makes great fights, but right now it just seems the sport is focused on money, and it's focused on whatever names can bring in the money instead of creating a bigger brand. And I continue to say that's the difference in boxing, and that's the difference in the UFC and why people get mad. Why is the UFC taking over? Even boxing is going on the UFC uh, uh, stream channel. Why? Because everybody else is doing it right they want to sit there and do everything as a complete whole and all whether or not i uh, can't say much so much the fighters but whatever promoters they have they're all trying to do their own league and only sitting there trying to uh, keep their fighters in a certain small little circle to see who can make the most money and it's hurting everybody in the end you know professional baseball is going to be starting soon i know you don't care but i'm going to make a baseball analogy the heavyweight division today a lot of the heavyweights and their teams are looking to win the fight with that home run so they're setting their they're setting their their fighters up for the home run the guys that win the successful baseball teams that win generally the home run isn't what's doing it hits are what's doing it bunch of singles and i think the analogy i'm trying to point out is if they did exactly what we're talking about fought each other not only would they become better but they would build the brand. You mentioned the brand and everything. The sport itself would become more solid. These guys are hitting for that. They're all, they're all looking for that home run, that one big money-making fight, and let's let the chips fall as they will. They're not trying to build the lifelong fan. I've talked about this many, many times. You know, we have been lifelong fans of the sport of boxing because when we got hooked, we were watching the errors that we still talk about today. 
the young fans of today are watching this, if they get hooked because they're interested, how long will the interest stay when they'll be able to determine who's going to win a fight quicker uh, than, you know, people of yesteryear? I mean, I... You, how many times did you watch a fight as a kid where you had no idea? You might have been rooting for one side, but it wasn't a layup fight. You know, today, it's a shocker when the A side, and we even have that. We even have, even have that de defined. When the A side loses, it's a shocker to the fans. Yeah, and, and it's not really that big of a shocker. You know, speaking of, the other day I was watching on Gineco TV, I was watching some of our... Um, a replays on there, and there was one on there. I, I think it was after one of the Austin Trout fights. I had predicted and said, "But in a couple fights, Charlo was going to lose that belt." And uh, two fights later, he loses it to uh, Tony Harris. And not saying that you know I'm some sort of fortune teller. It's just that you can see the pattern going along. That eventually one of these judges are going to go against them, or you know, eventually that you know you're not going to have the guy that's out there that really you know. Um, care so much about what the promoter wants or care so much about what that next assignment he's going to have and what's going to happen is the guy's going to lose and everybody's going to cry foul. Now all of a sudden, you know, Charlo last night when you sat there and you looked at um, when they were talking about the 154 pound division, he was just mentioned briefly as he was almost forgotten by the broadcast team. He was mentioned as another one of those guys that are in there. You know, and uh, Tony Harrison, he was also kind of mentioned as another one of those guys that are in there just because that WBC title, due to that careful picking and choosing, has kind of lost its appeal at 154 pounds. And very much because of the way how you're explaining that, you know, they're only concentrating on one thing. They're trying to build one guy up and make him the most money, but they're not trying to build the brand. The Charles, the whole brand was built around the win, uh, the undefeated record. Now that he has lost, you know what? He, he's just a, he's just a uh, an also ram when it comes to their opinion because he's not going to generate that much money once that loss. Losses, you know, since that loss is you know now not there anymore, and that's what we're going to see happen more and more to the fighters. And as the fans start being able to pick up on this, you know, as soon as he faces X and or X Y B, he's going to lose. Or if he doesn't face X Y B, we know it's because he's being protected, and fans are going to turn away from that. And we see that more in the United States, and that's why again, and I keep saying all the time, boxing in the UK and boxing in Japan and other parts of the country are so much bigger than they are here. The United States is under this delusion that the United States is boxing. The United States is not boxing. Uh, I I hear you. Uh, I've always said England uh, carries the sport on their back. But Dax, great job as usual, and uh, we'll be looking forward to you next week. We got some great fights to talk about next week. All right, everybody, enjoy the day. That's uh, my man Dax Khan. Check out his column up on BillyCBoxing.com. Um, all right, like I said, uh, we're going to take a short break here. Uh, we're scheduled to have uh, uh, Alex Papali join us. Um, but I, like I had said uh, earlier, we are going to um, uh, auction off, if you will, some stuff. The first thing today is your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Uh, this is the same game that Alex does his uh, uh, um, simulations with. It's uh, not a video-oriented game, although there is video. Uh, it's not the graphics aren't set up, but it is one of the best games you could take uh, and put uh, a, a, a superstar fighter of yesteryear in with a current fighter. Uh, set parameters are are they fighting in their normal division? Who their trainers are? It's it's very cool uh, and it's extremely accurate when it comes to uh, putting some of the fighters against each other today, and then to go ahead and see the outcome. I will give you your very own copy 
Uh, we are taking a, a commercial break right now. So uh, the, the highest super chat that we can get right now, the highest super chat that we can get will get you your copy, and I will pick one uh, when we're done with the break. So uh, uh, right now on the line, a, uh, uh, your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, Super Chats, highest one right now. Do it. We'll be back uh, in about uh, two. Billy C will be right back. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. We want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to Talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back you're watching and listening to the billy c show glad you could be with us today and um all right well joining us uh, again right now is uh, my man sal rocky senacola i guess uh, alex he's a no with us today but we got that we got we got my man uh, sal back and sal we uh, just gave away our first uh uh prize i should say um or basically our first uh uh, super chat prize. I don't know how, what what verbiage I should use, but uh, in that case, the winner uh, was my man uh, Johnston, uh, who sent us uh, uh, a super chat and was the the highest one. Um, uh, he also threw in a question. He wants to know, and this is a good question. He wants to know: Do I consider or do we consider uh, Tyson Fury uh, to still be the lineal heavyweight champion? Uh, because he's never lost in the ring and he was the linear champion, um, his opinion is that he thinks it should be vacant until we have a undisputed heavyweight champion. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank Johnston, and uh, uh, I will uh, email you, Johnston. Your I have Johnston's email. I will send him the information for his uh, title bout game. Sal, what do you think? Do you think that Tyson Fury should still be considered the uh, linear champ? You know, it, it's amazing because we, we, we saw him retire. We saw him struggle back. Not struggle. I mean, get back in the ring, lose the weight, do this and that. And, yes, he came right back and he fought Deontay Wilder to a draw. And uh, I don't know, Bill. I, I tell you the truth. I, I'm not all for these linear or these sub-world champion belts and all that. I'm not really, I'm not really that... Uh, that big on all that well you know the the linear title uh really uh, you're right you're right uh, first of all to have all the belts is a joke to begin with the linear title came out 
um, you know, tracing it back, the guy who beat the guy. Uh, and, and you trace it all the way back to John L. Sullivan. And you could do that. And, and eventually, you know, Tyson Fury uh, was the linear champ. No one beat him in the ring. He, uh, there was a draw, but no one has beaten him in the ring. But, um, I, you know, I think that the value of that linear championship um, has gone away. I, 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 well, let me let me change that. I, I don't think the it's gone away. I think it's just hard to follow th- these days the way the the, the titles uh, and the, that whole champion is so split up in multiple ways. I mean, now we're dealing with a gold belt. We got. I mean, think about it. We got the world. We got we got a super world champion, a regular world champion, a gold world champion, an interim world champion, a champion of Murtai, a champion in recess, a, a champion with a hurt fingernail, a, a champion. I mean, everybody's a champion. And then, oh by the way, we have the linear championship. Um, I, I don't think Tyson Fury uh, uh, is considered a linear champion. I feel that when a fighter retires. When they say they retire, now we go all the way back to Six James Jeffries. Well, well, J- James Jeffries, when he retired, and uh, the belt was was won by uh, by someone else, and, and then Jack Johnson eventually won the the title. Uh, and then when they had the fight, when when James Jeffries finally fought Jack Johnson, they were saying that that was really for the title because it was James Jeffries' title that he never lost in the ring. I think once a, t- a fighter retires, utters those words, whether he comes back again or not, he relinquishes any title that he has, including a linear title. So to answer Johnston's question, my opinion is that Tyson Fury has no titles. He's got zilch. And I also agree that the only way to award a linear title is if someone ends up with all the un- with the title of undisputed. Uh, that's my thought. So, uh, you know, I'm with Johnston on that. What, what do you think? Well, you know my thoughts, Bill. I, I'm going to concur. I, 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 I think it's all chaos. I think it's all redundant. I think it's all pathetic, the state of boxing and these belts and these sanctioning bodies and these creations. I mean, I lost, I lost when I was active, and I heard of an intercontinental championship belt. I mean, I mean, how is that different or supersede world championship belt or whatever? Intercontinental. Hey, well, that's a pretty neat new name. I mean, they could think of a title and a name, and boom, designated for a belt, and there you go. It's both. It's both. There's uh, borrow it again from Ray Mancini. There's one world. Why can't there be one title belt? The the reason why all the titles have have come into play is because the promoters. You know, I, I said this several years ago. Promoters don't promote anymore. Uh, you know, managers don't manage. Fighters don't fight. I mean, it, it's the craziest stuff. But a promoter and a television network today, they don't feel they can successfully promote an event unless there's a belt on the line. And that's what fuels these sanctioning bodies. You know, and and most fans that if they're not a diehard fan, they don't know the difference between a belt. They see a guy coming walking out. Even even uh, who was it? The young fighter uh last week, the the heavyweight uh comes out and he says, "Oh, I have all these belts. Uh I I, I need extra people." And he doesn't even have a world title yet. You know, I I mean, he's he's become the uh, the gold heavyweight champion, the, the, that kid that's now going to fight um, 
Manual Char. You know, I yeah, I have so many belts now. Yeah, so many belts. Not one of them is a world title, but everybody has it. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's a joke. Speaking of jokes, um, I, have you seen that this this feud between Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather is opened up again, Sal? And you know, you know, the funny thing is, is, is really these two guys should get back in the ring. Uh, Floyd's yeah. going to be forty-two years old, and Oscar's—I don't even know how old he is. Uh, but uh, the way they go at each other, um, it all stemmed from this. Apparently, now uh, Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy Promotions uh, has Ryan Garcia uh, signed to them. He's an up-and-coming fighter. He's that tall. Uh, kid that that you know has a long way to go in my opinion, but uh, the dream fight people are already talking about is him against Tank Davis, and even though we would like to see Tank Davis against uh, you know uh, other fighters, uh, this is a name that's that's being uh, uh, thrown out there. Well, according to uh, several reports, uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, actually came and and offered a fight to Ryan Garcia to fight his, meaning Floyd's, uh, one of his young uh, up-and-coming fighters, Rolando Romero, and he said, uh, basically, if Garcia fights Rolando Romero and wins, he'll give him a, a, a shot at Javante Davis. Uh, well, Oscar got uh, PO'd about that, Sal, and says uh, that there's proper ways, and this is a quote from Oscar, he says, there's a proper ways of making fights, uh, look, you don't go out there publicly. He says the proper way is you send a contract, you take a look at it, and we talk about it. That's what real promoters do. Uh, and apparently uh, he has uh, issued a cease and desist letter to Floyd Mayweather and Mayweather Promotions. Um, you know, the the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, I, I kind of, as much as I think that it's a pit, uh, tit for tat type of a situation, I agree with with uh, Oscar here. Floyd has always acted like he's above the rules, and a lot of times, um, you know, uh, sanctioning bodies and and television networks and other fighters, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, have caved into Floyd. I, I think that this. I think I think that Oscar De La Hoya is right. I think that you know if you're going to wear a promoter's hat, and I don't even know for sure if if Floyd Mayweather actually holds a promoter's license somebody in mayweather promotions does but uh, whether oscar is really a promoter or not um he needs to follow uh, i'm sorry floyd is a real promoter or not he needs to follow the the rules what's your thoughts of course i think he should follow the rules i think everybody should abide by the rules that's why they're in place so you don't deviate and make your own rules and uh you know conform to uh have the rules conform to you instead of the, you conform to the rules so it's uh it's uh, like I said it's a bad state and the benchmark has been lowered and it's constantly moving the goalposts and everything else it really is it's it's bad when I think of all the belts and all the rhetoric and all the things diced up like we're talking about Tyson Fury hey guess what the old adage saying was you got a belt you got a title you got six months to defend it against the number one contender for that title and and you're not there boom you're no longer a champ you buy for it elsewhere. You know, he retired. How long he retired for? Three years? Four years? Who, Tyson Fury? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was almost three years. Right. After six months, he should have lost that title. That title should have been up for somebody else to get. No, you know but, but there is none. I, you know, listen, it used, to be, it used to be the ring belt, okay? It used yeah. to be the linear title. 
you can connect to the ring belt, okay, the ring championship. Um, but that kind of went out of the, out the window when Golden Boy Promotions bought the ring magazine. And at first, they, 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 it, was, it seemed legit, but then over a short period of time, within a couple of years, um, the, 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 right, listen, when they wouldn't strip Canelo of it, when he was fighting in, in the middleweight uh, belt, when they, when they still let Canelo say he was the ring champion, even though he uh, you know, had fought in other divisions and, and uh, you know, had to draw with, with Triple G, I mean, I, you know, it, it, I lost all respect for the ring belt. The ring, there is no the, – the, the guy who beat the guy, which is a linear ch- championship – is legit until a fighter says, I quit, I retire, I'm, I'm doing other things, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. They can't decide to come back a, a, a month later or 10 years later and expect to still have the belt. I'm sorry, Sal. When no, you retire, no, it's you over. Say, you retire. You say goodbye. You say goodbye to the game. You say goodbye to the belt. That's what I'm saying. You should have a six-month period to defend that title or claim you're the owner of that title and make a defense. And the bottom line is you retire, you're saying goodbye to boxing, you're saying goodbye to the world, you're saying goodbye to the training, the way you would be regimenting your life and, and focusing and putting the blinders on, and you are, you are opening the door for other opportunities. Well, why can't other opportunities exist with what you once had? You're being replaced. So, you know what, after six months and you're retired, that window and that door has closed, and it's, it's open fodder for everybody else. You're right. No, I, I'm with you. Speaking of Canelo, uh, uh, yeah, your your favorite fighter. Uh, it's, you were telling me off air before. I know. I, I I'm letting a cat out of the bag. It's it's everybody thinks it's Deontay Wilder. Nay nay, it's Canelo. But uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs uh, have went on their uh, press conference tour this past week. Uh, they are fighting on Cinco de Mayo weekend. Uh, Saturday, May 4th in Las Vegas. It will be available on the Zone Network, a part of the, uh, I guess, 300 million plus deal Canelo signed with the Zone. Um, you know, they offered, uh, they gave a, a, a package to Daniel Jacobs, almost uh, telling him basically he has no chance of beating Canelo unless he should knock Canelo out which he does have a chance of doing. Uh, I love Daniel Jacobs. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, the people I thought that he beat Triple G, I, I didn't agree with that, but he has gotten better. Uh, yes. He is in very good shape. His uh, suspect chin, I think, is uh, uh, people have uh, left that, that rumor away uh, because of him going the distance with uh, Triple G and actually getting up off the canvas. Um, this press conference has been pretty professional, uh, unlike some of the other press conferences featuring fighters that uh, seemingly like to promote fights by getting a little outrageous. Uh, this particular fight um, is uh, uh, going to be a quality fight. We all know that. We have two top-notch fighters, uh, but the press conferences have been uh, kind of controlled. The one thing I don't like is that they're allowing Canelo Alvarez to maintain two uh, world titles in two different weight classes. Um, I don't like that. They, they had made that a rule that it was not possible that once a fighter won a second uh, title in a different weight class that they had X amount of time to 
relinquish one of the belts, and they've extended uh, Canelo Alvarez uh, to let him make a decision after this fight, which I think is wrong. But Canelo Alvarez had some quotes. I'll give them to you, Sal, and get your thoughts. He says, we'll do what we always do to prepare ourselves to the fullest. We'll eat tainted beef. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't say that. Um, he says, You're and funny. and we'll give, and we, and we will stay away from cheeseburgers. Uh, no, he says, we'll give the fans a great fight. Uh, this is not going to be an exception. Uh, we're going to come out with our hands raised high. We know his style is going to be difficult. He's a complicated fighter, but at this level, that's what you got to face. We're prepared. We're going to train. We're going to work. We're going to do whatever. Uh, we're going to work for whatever he's going to bring. Anything can happen in boxing. We'll go in there looking for the knockout, but we're going to prepare for 12 rounds, expecting the unexpected. We're ready uh, to fight Daniel Jacobs. Uh, before I read Danny's uh, quotes, uh, what's your thoughts on Canelo Alvarez? Seems pretty scripted, no? Seems pretty scripted, and uh, we'll see if those words are sincere and true. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't argue with the words. And if it's in the mind and the heart, then that's great. But if not, we're going to see. But, um, yeah, it uh, sounds great. Um, you know, Canelo Alvarez does have to prepare because I think Daniel Jacobs is going to bring a different dimension of, of a spite style that uh, Canelo has been used to seeing. And uh, he is one of the bigger fighters that Canelo has faced. So I don't know if that's going to be an issue. Well, Canelo, Canelo just won a super middleweight title. So size isn't going to – I don't think the size is going to be an issue. You remember, size shouldn't be an issue. Remember, they used to say Triple G, oh, Triple G is such a big heavyweight. Canelo's a big guy. You know, he's Canelo, very yeah. – he, he's a stocky guy. He's still very young. Um, but I think – I agree with you. I think that Daniel Jacobs is going to bring uh, a little more – uh, than what Canelo was used to. You know, we have to acknowledge the fact that Triple G um, either has aged or just was not fighting the fight that, um, you know, he's accustomed to. We do know that Triple G uh, does not like body work, and Canelo Alvarez is very proficient at working the body. It's going to be interesting to see if Daniel Jacobs' movement and hand speed can neutralize Canelo Alvarez's body attack because quite frankly Sal I don't know if Daniel if if Triple G can't handle the body attack uh of uh, of Canelo I'm not so sure Daniel Jacobs can what's your thoughts on that no I, I agree with you I, I don't know if he can Daniel Jacobs you know he's a he's a big guy for the weight class and and I could see him right now working on uppercuts trying to catch Canelo coming in and going through the body but you know we're gonna see Canelo trying to cut off the ring nullify the distance and, and uh, work the body and work up to the head. Canelo, like I said earlier, he's been a much improved fighter than Canelo Alvarez. I still envision when he first fought Floyd Mayweather and I thought he was he was so inexperienced at that point. And, uh, you know, it's a different fighter today than what I saw back then. And, uh, of course, he's learned a little bit more of his craft. He, he keeps his feet underneath him. He does have leverage in his punches. And he does throw. He keeps busy. So I'll tell you what. Uh, I give Canelo Alvarez all the kudos for actually being one of the most improved professional fighters I've seen in a long time. You know, it's funny. I think he's improved a bit. Um, I think that he's learned more about the game from Floyd, and he's tried yeah. to he's tried to replace 
Floyd with himself as as being the big draw and everything. I don't think he is because I think uh, one of the reasons Floyd was so successful at at selling tickets, if you will, um, and I don't mean to his live events because he didn't sell them at. I'm talking about his pay-per-view. It's because there's a lot of people that purchased uh, his pay-per-views to see Floyd lose. I think most people uh, that, that buy Canelo... Uh, want to see him win. They're, they're his fans. Um, but the one thing that has not changed with Canelo, and I think that Daniel Jacobs may be the guy that will be able to expose this um, uh, lack of skill, which is not an easy uh, uh, thing to do, but all the top, top great fighters can do it. And that's hit while you're moving. Land substantial punches on the move. Uh, you know, rather than uh, you know, throw a couple of shots, then get out of harm's way, then come back in, throw a couple of shots. The one thing that Canelo can't do is seemingly let his hands go and land effective. He does connect sometimes, but land effective punches when he's on the move. What he has to do, and I've been watching this long before uh, the fight that he did have with Floyd Mayweather, it was a weakness that you and I have discussed on this show many times, Sal. He seems to have to plant his feet in front of his opponent before he can let his substantial uh, power shots go. And that's typically when he's in line to, to, to use a body shot to set up uh, a, uh, a, a more significant head shot. But that's only if a fighter is willing to stand in front of him. Floyd recognized that early on, and that's why he took that fight in early in Canelo's career. I'm sure Floyd thought that he would be able to learn how to land a punch on the move uh, at some point in his career, and Floyd, being the type of guy that you know wants to have the edge all the time, uh, figured that he better fight this kid now. The truth is, is that Canelo has never learned to throw a significant punch on the move, and I think that that's his biggest weakness. And I think that Daniel Jacobs is in a position to capitalize capitalize on that um, if he himself can move and land uh, significant shots, which I know and have seen Daniel Jacobs do in the past. Great points, Bill, and I uh, I agree with you there, and that's why I'm so excited to see this fight, because I think they each have a unique style, and you know, as we know, styles make fights, and this is going to be a great fight based on each of their styles. Now, I still, uh, I'll debate, and I'll watch and rewatch. I, I really feel in my heart of hearts that Canelo Alvarez lost both those fights to Triple G. The second one more so decisively than the first one. But Triple G did take his foot off the pedal. Triple G did not fight his fight. And Triple G should have closed the show a lot bigger and a lot better than what he exhibited. So did he lose a step? Is he losing something? Yes, he's aging. And yes, he, he, he didn't look like he wanted as much as Canelo on that level. But I still thought that he did enough to win both fights. I'm, I'm with you. I thought that uh, Triple G won both fights. But uh, Daniel Jacobs uh, got some quotes. He says, I've never had it easy in my career. I've always had the long road. I've had to jump over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And when I step in the ring May 4th, this will be the last hurdle I ever have to step over because I will be declared the unified middleweight champion of the world. We've worked very hard for this moment. If you understand, boxing styles make fights. You can't automatically think uh, that because he defeated Triple G, he'll beat me. 
physically I'm the bigger man. Triple G was bigger than him, and I'm bigger than Triple G. Rocky was the biggest fighter that Canelo has faced, but he didn't possess the skill set that I have, so that's going to be the difference. Uh, a true statement, we're all talking about how big Daniel Jacobs is. If you recall, when he fought Triple G, part of the game plan was to come in overweight, which he did. Uh, there were no titles uh, that uh, Daniel Jacobs was going to be able to win that night uh, when he fought Triple G. Uh, but this fight, he's going in with a title. My question to you, he's got the IBF middleweight title and Canelo is holding uh, the WBC and WBA versions. My question is, would it be worth it for Daniel Jacobs to win this fight, come in overweight, knowing Canelo is not going to cancel the fight, uh, as long as he doesn't come in uh, overweight where a commission wouldn't let it. But then again, Las Vegas with the gutless, spineless piece of garbage, Bob Bennett in control, uh, they wouldn't uh, do anything. But my question is, would Daniel Jacobs be willing to give up his belt for the win? Or do you think that he's going to make weight and uh, and just try to uh, focus on rehydrating? Well, I think, you you know, you give both sides of the chess table a good idea to consider I don't think purpose purposely he should come in overweight and lose that title by the scale uh, that's not being professional that's not uh, doing what is expected and what is contractually agreed between two fighters and being a professional those are your obligations your commitments and that's what you adhere to now uh, that's 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 when you sign the dotted line you respect and you appreciate the rules and the laws of the game and, and your contract uh, with that being said, I don't think he has to do that to get a victory over Canelo. I think if they do have a weigh-in, I think he's got 24 hours to rehydrate himself. He'll come in 10, 15 pounds over the weigh-in, and he'll look like he's 175. He'll be a light heavyweight, and I think he'll uh, he'll be able to do what he can do. I mean, I really do. I think it's going to be a great fight, and I think uh, Jacobs is going to look substantially bigger. And uh, I think that uh, Jacobs will do a great job. And I'm going to, you know, I, I shouldn't say this, but I will. I'll be rooting for Jacobs. I'll be rooting for Jacobs. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've lost a lot of respect and for... And Mike Rell. Right, the cut man. He'll get his thoughts. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I've lost a lot of respect for Canelo uh, with the whole uh, Triple G thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see... Because we know that that um, Canelo has everything in his favor. This is the part where I say he, he's trying to copy Floyd. And I wonder if he will permit Daniel Jacobs. Because if I'm Daniel Jacobs' team, and I'm following what you just said, Sal. I want to come in as a professional. I want to win the titles. Therefore, I can't come in overweight. Otherwise, I'm not eligible to win the titles. If I'm Team Jacobs, the one consolation that I would have fought for, you know, knowing that Canelo's going to win the, the gloves, he's going to win the size of the ring, he's going to win that he gets to uh, be announced and come in the ring uh, second and all those things. The one consolation that I would have fought, and I don't know if it's the case or not, but if I'm Daniel Jacobs' team and I'm fighting, I'm the negotiator for this fight, the one thing I would have made sure, assuming I want to win my title and, and be eligible, I would have fought for an early weigh-in, Sal, 
an early morning weigh-in. A weigh-in the Friday morning, 10 a.m., 9 a.m. weigh-in for the fight that's going to take place Saturday evening at midnight. I would have tried to do that to give my fighter a little more of an edge to uh, to rehydrate healthy-wise. Because let's face it, if Daniel Jacobs is that big and he, and he dehydrates so much, he, sometimes fighters need more than 24 hours to rehydrate to get themselves back to 100%. How many times have you seen fighters that go overboard with dehydrating and they never gain their strength back? It's fight night time, and they're still... They're still you know, a week because they haven't fully gained their strength. What's your thoughts? Early weigh-in for Daniel Jacobs. Would have been great. Would have been great if uh, you gave that buzz in their ear because, you know what, that that would have been a hell of a trade-off for Daniel Jacobs to, to definitely have in his corner, no pun intended. But uh, unfortunately, I guess uh, uh, that, that that's opportunity has already come and gone. Um and you know how I feel about weigh-ins. I, I feel the weigh-in should be the same day. Um, but that's that's just my old school. Um, we got, uh, I'm going to give away, I got an email here I want to read. Um, and uh, as I read it uh, and then respond to it, we're going to have another super chat bid here. Now on the line is an official uh, Billy C. Uh, Talking Boxing with Billy C. T-shirt. Uh, I'll show you. This is the front. It's got the Talking Boxing logo. And on the back, we got the uh, Talking Boxing stuff, whatever. <laughs> it's black. It's a size large. It's a size large. So uh, whoever wants this, right now the Super Chat is open. The highest Super Chat gets the shirt. So uh, give us a Super Chat right now on YouTube. Uh, if you're uh, watching live, the biggest, uh, uh, highest Super Chat gets a T-shirt right now. Uh, while I read this email and respond, whoever uh, has the highest Super Chat will get it. Sal, this is from uh, the other Alex T. Uh, he says, uh, hey, Billy C., I tend to avoid all social media in regards to boxing. I find that uh, for a sports, uh, I find that for a sport uh, that's been around forever, most people don't know much about it. But I clicked on a comment section recently on an article against my better judgment, and I don't even remember what the article was, but some fan, and I assume it's a young fan, was making an argument that Sugar Ray Robinson was an overrated fighter based on the number of fighters he beat who had double-digit losses. And this is a person, uh, and he said, and then this person did one large cut and paste from box rec to prove his point. Alex says, have you ever heard someone say something so stupid that leaves you speechless? This is how I felt. I immediately start having a conversation in my own head about why such an argument is foolish and I could go on for days, but I won't. Uh, you and your audience, I think, or at least I hope, understand why comments like this are foolish. But what really bugged me is that sadly, I think that's what young fans think today. They look at a box wreck and a guy's win-loss record and make a quick decision about a fighter's legacy, and that's just sad. And for your information to everyone, box wreck is not 100% accurate, especially when it comes to the older fighters. I guess you can thank Floyd Mayweather. Um, first of all, that's you know people know I'm not a big Floyd fan, but that is true. Uh, Floyd did successfully market himself as an undefeated fighter. 
Um, it worked for Floyd. Uh, unfortunately, other fighters are trying to emulate it. I, I agree with Alex here, Sal. I think it's preposterous that people would go to a box rec or any record-keeping service and judge a fighter of how good he was or she was based on the amount of losses that that fighter has or um, the amount of losses that some of the opponents had. When you go back to that era of Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, I'm sorry, um, Sugar Ray Robinson fought multiple times a month. Uh, boxing was a trade. Uh, it was something that fighters did often. Uh, today, a fighter will win Fighter of the Year award uh, if he uh, uh, if he or she w fights four times a year. Um, I, I, in my opinion, Sugar Ray Robinson was the best fighter ever. So anybody that suggests uh, differently uh, is uh, is wrong. I, I got some cough drops if you need them. What's your thoughts on the email? I do, and let me tell you, yeah, I, I share Alex's pain with that email, and I, I understand. And, you know, like you were just saying, boxing, especially back in that era, that generation, it was a trade. You were going to work every day with your lunch pail to a gym, and you were honing in on your skill. You were improving. And you know what? Back then, you fought almost every week. Back then, you were fighting everybody, and you weren't sidestepping. You were not avoiding people. You were fighting whoever they put in front of you. Because that's how you got your paycheck. That's what you supported your family on. That's how you got by and paid bills. And to, to think that, you know, one fighter such as Sugar Ray Robinson, who is so gifted on so many levels, he could do it all. You know, to see him fight fighters that didn't have that same skill set, that were doing what they had to do to support their families, fight every week. And they didn't have the, the, the guidance, the management, the opportunities uh, that fighters have today to avoid some fighters and to fight the ones that they could beat up on to build up their record. They didn't have that luxury. The promoter said, hey, you're fighting Kid Kowalski uh, next Saturday night at the Polo Grounds. Be there. And that's it. And whether, whether you were ready or not, you got a paycheck and you took a beating or you gave a beating. And it's a whole different thing. It's, it's not correct and it's not, it shouldn't be even relevant or relative to, to this, uh, this, this today uh, how they look at fighting no but it's just you can't just go by a record you have to look yeah. at who each other fought yes yes and to say that statement about uh overrated sugar ray robinson like i said bill you and i can debate this whole series uh ongoing non-stop in my opinion, I, I feel for so many reasons, so many levels, that Sugar Ray Robinson was probably one of the world's greatest fighters ever, period. Um, in my opinion, he was the best ever. I mean, you know, the greatest of all time, really. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm with uh, Alex on this one uh, 100%. I, you know, the, the, only, the only positive I can get out of that is the fact that um, the fact that at least you have a young fan that's following the sport and making a judgment. Whether they're not informed correctly, but that's the thing. I, you know, this is the one sport that um, you know I feel that people should uh, uh, should do a little homework on. Um, 
before they become a fan, or at least as they become a fan, look into the past a little, unlike any other sport. What, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think, you know, like I said, you know, with, with becoming a critic becomes a responsibility. You, you're, you're, your credibility is on the line now. And do you do your homework? Do you do this? You know, it, it's funny, not to get too sidetracked, but, uh, you know, me, I'm going to go off on a little little side side footage here. You know, we, as restaurant owners, are subject to a lot of reviews. And, you know, we, we're lucky when we get a whole string of great reviews. And uh, if I look at my TripAdvisor or Yelp or this and that, we've got the majority of positive, great, favorable reviews. And I thank and appreciate everybody. And then once in a while, you'll get a bad review, uh, not even relative to someone's experience in the restaurant. Could be something like they called in for pizza and it was a two-hour wait. And all of a sudden, they got to write a whole uh, two-page book on why they were mistreated or why it wasn't good. And they give you one star and it affects your rating, affects everything. So where I'm going is it, it shouldn't be when you're going to say something and you should have a foundation based on your information that you're going to share in the public media and doing your homework and doing your due diligence is a good way to have some credibility behind what you're going to say and not just be somebody that wants to get out there and say something because you you think you have a well-founded idea without really doing the research and homework as most people should do well i mean you know it's not it's 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 a it's a catch 22 in my opinion you know yeah. um I, if 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 you're a fight fan you you're starting to get into it now and there's things that you see that you like um i would want to compare if if it were me i would want to do a comparison um yeah. you know uh, no I, the the truth of the matter is today um today the the athletes uh, are are better. I, I think that the athletes, um, you know, are are better uh, today than they were yesteryear. We 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 eat better. You know, not I'm not that I'm not. You know, well, I I think the fighters of yesteryear were tougher. Um, I, I I believe that they were tougher uh, easily. Uh, their their training regiments were were stronger. Um, I, I I think that. The skill set of fighters today, because of the fighters of yesteryear, have learned to um, fight uh, better. Um, I hate to say it, but 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 it's true. They they've learned to to box better than just go in and brawl. Um, not to confuse a, a runner uh, with the sweet science. I mean, you know, a uh, a fighter like Lomachenko. Uh, who stands right in front of you and is is uh, you know smacking the crap out of you, and and you're you're right in front of him and you can't hit the guy. Um, that's defense to me, not running away so that you can't hit your opponent and they can't hit you. So overall, I think that fighters of today uh, eat better. They they learn the sport better. They're more preserved because they don't fight as as much. And and with all of those things said from an athletics point of view because listen it doesn't have to be just boxing sal uh we could turn around and look at baseball and football and basketball and and say the same thing you know the superstars even in in when i was a kid the superstars in football 
uh, wouldn't last uh, uh, at all with the stars today. The, the stars today are bigger, stronger, faster, all those things. Um, but with that said, in the sport of boxing, the competitiveness, even though if you, if you try to make an argument that the fighters today are, are better, uh, which I, I don't overall believe because I think that the frequency of fighters of yesteryear uh, and the fact that they were just overall tougher uh, makes them better, in my opinion. But if the fighters of today, with the skill sets that they perceivably have, and also uh, the diet, the better diets that they have, uh, and the steroids that they get to use, um, that they could, oh, wait, I, oh that's right, you're not, they're not allowed to use that. Um, if they fought the tougher fights earlier on, we could be talking about the, the greatest fighters ever. That's that's the sad truth, Sal. Well, it, it, it is. I mean, there's enough information out there today based on the fighters of yesterday that, that fighters could take a crash course, learn, and jump ahead of the pack, and I'm sure some have done so just based on that. Um, but, you know, the old grind, the old... You know, like listening to Daniel Jacobs saying, you know, he's never had it easy. Well, guess what? You're a fighter. And part of your pride is because you know you've never had it easy. And guess what? You can rise to the occasion. You've always done it. And people that are having it easier along that way, when the metal gets, uh, when the rubber hits the road, they may not be able to deliver the way Daniel Jacobs can or the way somebody who's been tested over and over and over again. There's one thing. You got your physical toughness and you got your mental toughness. When you're in the middle of a fight and you got to keep those blinders on and focus on what's going on and everything else, let me tell you, you can't, you can't deviate, daydream, doing anything else. You've got to be able to, to just stick to business as planned and go and improvise, do what you got to do. And you're performing. And you got to perform at a peak level, not one time, not two times, but every time. And that's, that's it. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get beat. Well, you know, I, I just think that um, one of the reasons the fighters were better was the frequency of the fight. Mike Silver, and I, I, I should get a cut. Hey, Mike, if you're watching, he's been on the show a couple times. Uh, you should give me a cut because I promote your book, which I never do. I like to promote my own. But uh, Mike Silver wrote a book called uh, the Sweet Science, uh, what is it, the Rise and, the Arc of Boxing, the Rise and Fall of the Sweet Science, I believe is the title. And it's not that it was a captivating book. It wasn't like uh, it was a captivating read or, or, you know, you couldn't put it down type of a thing. But the reason why I liked it and the reason why it really is so uh, connected to our discussion right now is that he makes and backs up that very point of why fighters of yesteryear were better. And he, he cites, you know, facts about the number of fighters that were registered, the number of fights that actually took place, and, and not just for the fighters, but for venues itself, and how many licensed boxers there were. He was comparing the 40s to the early 2000s. And um, he makes a, a very good argument of the reasons why, just, uh, you know, versus what we're talking about today, um, you know, fighters being in better shape and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the bottom line is the lack of frequency of the fights uh, is what uh, is what hurts it. But uh, in any event, thanks for the email. Um, another big fight coming up uh, is uh, 
uh, Errol Spence and, and uh, Mikey Garcia. I can't wait for that one. Um, but uh, also, you, you'll notice a fight poster up on BillyCBoxing.com for this uh, bare-knuckle brawling event that's taking place April 5th in uh, Wyoming. Um, you know, I, I'm, uh, the fighters aren't big names, but it's interesting. We'll talk more about that. But I do want to talk as we wrap up the show here. I want to give a little preview of uh, some fights we're going to be talking about next week. There's some really good ones that are on uh, on, ske- on the schedule. Uh, first and foremost, we're talking a lot about heavyweights today. Daniel Dubois is taking on Razvan Kajanu uh, on uh, ESPN Plus Friday, uh, next Friday. And next Saturday, we got a big fight uh, that I'm lo- really looking forward to. Sean Porter. Uh, will be defending uh, his WBC welterweight title for the first time against Jordinas Ugas. Um, and also uh, um, Dimitri Bivol against Joe Smith Jr., uh, Maurice Hooker against Miguel Lesperi, uh, some fights uh, and some other fights. So we're going to have a lot of fights to talk about next week. But Sean Porter, uh, I love Sean Porter, Sal, and I know you do too. Um, yeah. You know, his record, 29 wins, two losses, his only two losses – uh, and he did have a draw, uh, was against uh, Keith Thurman and Kell Brook. I would love to see a rematch with both of these fighters, if possible. I think Porter beats them all. As a matter of fact, I thought you could make the argument that he won both fights, although the Kell Brook fight, uh, I leaned more towards Kell Brook, but I thought that uh, Porter beat Keith Thurman. Uh, he does have one draw against Julio Diaz that took place back in 2012. Uh, 29-2 and 1 with 17 knockouts was never stopped. He's ranked at number three in the world at welterweight at 31 years old, and he takes on uh, uh, Jorganis Ugas, who's uh, 23 wins and three losses with 11 of his wins uh, by knockout. He's never been stopped either with his three losses that came at the hands of Amir Aman, which was a unanimous decision loss. And then uh, Emmanuel Robles and Johnny Gar- uh, Garcia uh, both split decision losses, which you could make an argument for him. He's 32 years old and ranked number nine in the welterweight division. I like the matchup, Sal. What's your quick thoughts? Yeah, I like it too. I like it very much. It's going to be a good one. I, I can't wait to see it. You know the the thing with um, uh, the thing that that uh, always happens with uh, uh, Keith. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, with Sean Porter is the volume of punches that he throws. And this is a guy that's always in top physical condition. That's going to be yeah. That's going to be the big test for you, Goss. Um, yeah. I also think that even though he's 31 years old, Sean Porter, he's a kind of guy that that uh, puts a lot of. Uh, mileage on himself you know he's cut he cuts a lot he cuts his opponents a lot because of his style uh he sh- looks like a former football player which he was um uh, not that you know he left uh you know high ranks of football to to box he uh left at a, a younger uh age but you know it's a great story him and his father um i i think this is a big fight for sean porter i think he needs to look good in this fight sal and I think that a good showing here, a substantial win, meaning a knockout win over Ugas, I think sets up uh, a big money fight for him uh, in his next outing. Uh, what's your thoughts? No, I think you're 100% right. And I'm a big Sean Porter fan, as you are, for a multitude of reasons. And he comes, he, he, he is a workman fighter. He comes to work. He goes there. He comes in shape. He does everything he's supposed to do. And you know, and he's cleaned up his his punches too. I mean, he threw he threw more uh, uh, scud missiles with punches 
Uh, but you know what? He he's honed in a little bit. He's got some some good uh, good uh, uh, firing pins now, and they, I mean he's catching you. And he's throwing four, five, six punch combinations. And you know what can you say bad about it? He, he he's a gamer. He's a fighter. He's a throwback to the old days. I like him. Well, he is, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that he does uh, well. Another fight that uh, I'll be watching is the Dimitri Bivol against Joe Smith Jr. Uh, fight in the light heavyweight division. Bivol is regarded as one of these young, uh, upcoming uh, fighters. He's he is a title holder, but a lot of people want to see him fight uh, the top top guys. Uh, you know, even though. They seem to be avoiding him. Joe Smith Jr., he's got a puncher's chance, but this is a guy that I just don't think uh, is in the same league, and I hope Coach doesn't uh, stop watching us because of this, because of his connection with Joe Smith. But I think Joe Smith Jr. is a tough opponent, but I don't think he's going to pose much trouble for Bivol. What do you think? Well, I think, as you just said, Joe Smith Jr., he's had some opportunities. He's taken some early opportunities, and he's tried to uh, continue that path. I think uh, I think he just misses for some reason. I, I don't know if the skill set or just uh, getting over the next couple of hurdles. I like him. He's, he he always comes in to deliver, and uh, I think it should be a good fight. And uh, you know, you never know. Yeah, any night, anything could happen. So uh, this might be his night. We'll see what happens. I think it's a good matchup, and I think that uh, uh, Bill is a good, accomplished fighter, and this is a great test for Joe Smith Jr. And I think. What happens in this fight will designate the rest of his career. I think uh, you're right, and it should. It, it, well, let me put it this way: If Joe Smith Jr. upsets Bivol, he's got uh, a, a, a quite the future financially and historically. Um, yes. But I also think that even if he goes the distance, which I don't think he will, I think that he sets himself up for some big paydays. The thing I am hoping that does not happen is that Bivol takes care of him in, you know, half the, the the fight, you know, in six rounds or so, and then Joe Smith Jr. becomes that uh, that opponent. opponent. Yeah, that opponent. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I, could say, you could say it's the game, we're no, mature. No, I know, I know, and I'm just... Uh, uh, but you're right. I would be you know, disappointed. I'm a punching bag, no way. Yeah. But uh, in any event, it's going to be interesting to see Daniel Dubois. Razvan Kajanu is uh, is coming off a couple of back-to-back -back losses. Uh, was never anything special, but I, I do believe that Daniel Dubois uh, needs to fight guys like that in a heavyweight division. So I'll be looking forward to that on uh, ESPN+. Plus. So there's a lot of stuff going on uh, next week, Sal. Tell you what, you know, it's just good news to see, Bill, going back from 2015. Looking at 2016, oh, Bill, we should have a pretty good year. We had a good year 2015. Let's see what 16 turns out. 16, let's see what 17 turns out. 17, let's see what 18 turns out. And here we are in 2019. And I'll tell you what, the first quarter is not even over yet. And it uh, looks like we are, we are in for a pretty good fight year. That's for sure. But uh, in any event, hey, listen, uh, boys and girls, I appreciate all of the uh, super chats. Um, we uh, we will be continuing uh, to uh, uh, to get those uh, out to you guys. Uh, we'll have uh, some other stuff on the line next week. Uh, I I, st I still think I have uh, some T-shirts. I got more games. I got some of my books to give away and an authentic. And when I say authentic, I mean authentic 
uh, Triple G Canelo Alvarez 1 t-shirt that came live from watching the event at Sal's place that night. I managed to smuggle one out of there, still sealed in plastic, ready to go, and that's going to be another one that we'll put on the line. Uh, and uh, Sal, um, you know, one of these days we got to do that again. It's always fun when we come and invade your restaurant. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do it around Cinco de Mayo. Maybe we'll do it for this fight. I don't know. We we did it for a lot less fights. I mean, we did it for uh, we did it for quite a few, and uh, you know, including uh, one of my one of my uh, one of my former favorites, uh, who I thought was really really uh, David Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, the next one, if we do another one, would have to be. The, it would have to be Anthony Joshua against Deontay Wilder. Um, that yeah. would be the one. That would be the one. But, yeah, maybe, uh, get, maybe get some of our friends down there. Maybe we'll get uh, 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 Bobby Chez. Maybe we'll get Vinny Paz. Maybe we'll get some. Some. Uh, you know. Maybe we'll get. Uh, I'd love to get Marlon back down here, and uh, maybe we could even get. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to let it go at that. But listen, we want everyone to make sure that they tune in uh, next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. <laughs> Da na 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 na